Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. It's a little bit later in the week than normal, but then this wasn't really a normal week since we were last on air. Arsene Wenger announced his retirement. We found out who's going to meet in the FA Cup final and maybe, just maybe, we know who's going to be playing in the Champions League final too. My name's Sam Steen and joining me as always to run the rule over a great week of football is Peter Henry. Hi Peter. How's it going lads? Danny Ward's there as well. Hi Danny. Hey lads, how's it going, alright? <laughs> it's going good, Danny, yeah. And uh, joining us from the Jaffa app, we've got Dan Betty and Joe Marsh, which is a digital home for sports fans. All the news and views in one place for you. They'll tell us a bit more about that later. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, see you, lads. Good. Well, let's start with uh, Arsene Wenger, as we said. So, uh, a little, we've had a bit of time to sort of sit back and, and uh, absorb all of the news and everything that's happened. Peter, I, I guess... Despite the ending to his career, you have to look back on it and, and view it as a, as a positive le- legacy, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Like, um, my father texted me actually after it happened. He said, what did you think? And I kind of said, yeah, he was t- like, if you split his career into two parts, the, the first decade, the second decade, like there's no doubt he has arguably been the most influential manager in Premier League history in terms of like when he came in in 1996, you know, he revolutionized um, English football in terms of like nutrition, recovery, all these things that are, you know, how players lead their lifestyle, basically. You know, he was kind of the first to do that. And even Gary Neville, you know, I saw him on Sky Sports and he actually said that he made Man United raise their game as as a squad and even as a club, just to compete with what he was doing at Arsenal. So, um, obviously, massive um, success during the first decade. The second decade, you know, as much as, like, he is a legend and you have to have respect for him, but he's made some glaring mistakes. Um, And I don't get, I've said it so many times on the pod, the fact that them really successful teams had so many... I wouldn't just say hard men, but they had that physical edge, everything in there, the, the Vieiras, Petis, Keones, Adams. Um, interestingly, Neville actually said the 98 team were, were better than the Invincible one, but you know, you know what I mean? And then he just seemed to, over the last decade, as we've said before as well, just seemed to sign the stereotypical Arsenal player now, the technically good footballer, but you know, probably mentally and physically not kind of up for the fight. So I'm kind of struggling to say, like, if he was 3-0 up after the first year, first 10 years, I'm not sure if he's, draw, if he's going to draw 3-3 or he's going to lose 4-3. Uh, that's just my honest take, because as much as you have to appreciate what he did in the past, it, it's been pretty bad over the last decade. He's made so many mistakes, constantly making the same mistakes over and over again, which is, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but you have to learn from them, and it seems... He just hasn't learned from his mistakes. And he's almost become stubborn um, over the last decade. So while I have massive respect for him, um, and reports have come out this week that he, he's not leaving because he wants to. Um, he's leaving. He's basically jumping before he's being pushed. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm still, maybe in, high, in, in as time goes by, um, we will look back at him just the positives because that's what, what tends to happen over time. But um, at the moment, I don't think you can just airbrush the negativity of the last 10 years out. But I'm not sure what, what, what the other guys think. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, like I said, I'm not sure, you know, if he was 3-0 up after the first 10 years, if he's drawn 3-3, winning 3-2 or losing 4-3. I, I, I'm a little bit on defence with it, to be honest. 
Danny, what do you reckon? Was the second half of his tenure at Arsenal that bad that he's blown a 3-0 lead, as Peter says? Yeah, I, I don't know about the last 10 years. Um, Arsenal have been in, um, in, in many, many, many um, really good places come uh, come February and March uh, to be in with a chance of winning a title. And if he had won one in the last few years, maybe, uh, maybe we wouldn't be talking about 10 years of brilliance and 10 years of... Uh, and ten years of why is he still here, you know? But uh, they did shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, I, I can think of a few times over uh, over the last eight to ten years where Arsenal, as I said, were in a very good spot. The year Leicester won the title, um, Danny Welbeck scored a last minute winner uh, in the Emirates, and that should have been the, that should have been Arsenal turning the corner and going on to win the title that year. But uh, they did what they always do: they shoot themselves in the foot. And you can look at a couple of ways. You can look at it a couple of ways. You can you can always blame the manager, and the manager is obviously always the one that that takes it on the chin. Uh, most of the abuse, uh, or you you can look at it um, were the players to blame. There's probably a little bit a case for both. The manager bought the players, um, and the problem I think for many many uh, Arsenal fans, and it's something my mother would even say to me. I know Peter was talking about his dad. My mother would say to me she'd always know that they needed a centre-back. She always knew that they needed a new goalkeeper and she knew that they needed to replace Patrick Vieira. And why it took him so long or why he never managed to see what um, most most people that weren't even interested in football could see, um, that baffled a lot of Arsenal fans, um, probably to the case of bewilderment for them. And um, I, think that's, I think that's the reason a lot of fans started losing faith in them. When football fans start... Seeing glaring errors that that the, the manager um, who has paid a lot of money, if he's not seeing those errors and the fans can see them, then that's a big problem. Because when you're down in the pub, the manager's meant to be someone that's looked up to, um, who can see things that we don't see. Uh, and it's probably a couple of pages on the script uh, above where we are. But yeah, it, it looked like uh, as the years went on, Wenger was actually getting left behind by um, by armchair fans. When fans lose that sort of respect for their manager, it's hard to get it back. And the only way really to get it back is to address the situation and address the problems uh, and win trophies. And um, I know he won a couple of FA Cups in the last few years, but it's just not enough anymore to satisfy um, the hungry uh, appetite that uh, that most football fans have. And they want big success and they want it now. And um, Wenger, I think it's just it's just gone on too long. I, even, I was watching the game on, on Sunday and... There was a couple of there was a couple of fans, you know, singing uh, "There's only one Arsene Wenger," but it was quite muted. It was kind of sang like people who maybe felt a little bit bad that um, that they treated the manager who who brought them such success. I think they maybe felt a little bit bad, and I probably agree with Peter on that. That you know, they look back and say, "Yeah, he was a great manager. He revolutionised uh, English football." But did he overstay his welcome? Uh, yeah, he did for me, and probably by probably by three or four years. You know what you're saying about the players? Wenger was almost unique in a way in that he's the only manager in the Premier League who who can who actually signed every player in his squad. Yeah, Do you know. Yeah. yeah. Where, whereas other guys can always kind of say, "Oh, like oh, that's the lad." You know, I got left him by Van Gaal. I got left him by Brendan Rodgers. Whatever it might be, he was unique because he'd been there so long. Um, yeah, but I guess but that meant that I guess that meant though that the the blame had to stay to be at his door for the entire time. And I wonder for sure. I wonder, Dan, uh, if you think that you know Arsenal fans, it might be a case of be careful what you wish for. Uh, where do you think that Arsenal are going to go from here? And do you think that somebody can come in 
in one or two seasons and actually turn that squad around? Ultimately, as you say, you kind of either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I think Wenger very much is overstayed his welcome. And I think it's been obvious to see that he's taken and built a team, all credit to him, that was challenging for the title year in, year out. And now ultimately they are sick and comfortably sick and well outside of the, the top four. It's been challenging for the top four with an FA Cup here and there. And now, you know, barely that. And that's all been under his tenure. And I think the only way for um, a quick fix is a manager that would come in and take a team, any team, and turn them into a side that's tough to beat. So you're probably looking at, for me, I think Diego Simeone would be a perfect fit for, uh, for Arsenal, really giving them some grit and sorting out that defence, which has been over pretty much since Wenger lost that crucial back four of kind of the Adams, that era. Since then, the defence has been all over the place. And I think getting somebody like Simeone in, which will take that squad, drill them um, to, the, to the last team, to the very granular detail, and make them tough to beat. And I think that's where you're going to have to look at building from, because ultimately, if they try and compete on Guardiola's style of you know nice football, I personally don't think they've got the players to do it. And over the course of two seasons, it'd be a very tough challenge to compete on that front. Joe, do they have a squad that could be trained in sort of the, the mould of Simeone or somebody like that? Or Because we've discussed this on the show before and uh, you know we were saying like 250 million would barely put a, a dent into what probably needs to be done to that team. Yeah, well, nowadays, you, you know what, like, for me, they need three or four great players that are passionate about the game and really, you know, dig deep. For me, like, I mean, Shoshelny is the only player that I personally like in that squad and Giroud, who's now left, he was the only one who really fought for the game and, and you've seen him work hard off the ball, on the ball, he wants to score. Shoshelny, again, he's a class defender, but he's not a fouler and that's what they need. They need people who can foul, dig deep and, and really give some passion back to those fans. Those fans are passionate, but personally, like Arsenal fans are not the most, my, my favourite fans anyway, uh, but they are passionate. And you see things black and white, and if you don't like the team playing, then they don't get behind them, which is not good. And they need players that can turn that around. So they need three or four players for me that can really dig deep. I, I think Dan said it, and it's right. That there's no doubt they've been under massive decline because they have, you know, they, they've gone from challenging to the top four to the last two seasons, you know, not even really been in with a te- shout for the top four with kind of 10 games to go, which is which just isn't good enough. He, he kind of, he was hanging in there on, on always getting into the top four and they've massively slipped behind Spurs and, yeah, they're, they're, they're the sixth member of the top six now. But I think one other element that kind of, I don't know in time if it will change how we look at them. You have to remember... From a business point of view, he was an absolutely amazing manager in that he rarely, until recent years, actually spent much money. Um, he was the master of the French market back in the day. So, and he managed to keep them in the top four while they moved to the Emirates. So I, from a business point of view, he's done an absolute phenomenal job at Arsenal. Um, although with fans, we don't really want, you know, we're not too interested in that side of things. Um, but the fact that they stayed competitive for so long, even though they had they were, weren't able to pay the really high level of wages and the really high transfer fees during that decade after they, they moved to the Emirates, uh, I suppose from that point of view, he, he does deserve respect in, in, in that regard as well. Uh, what about tonight then? Because, of course, they uh, have their first leg of the Europa League draw against uh, Atletico Madrid. Do they have any chance in this? 
have a chance, but I know we're looking at the first leg of the semi-final. This is pretty much the first leg of the final um, because I think whoever wins this is should be nailed on. Should be nailed on to beat um, uh, a decent Marseille side and um, a, a, again a, a decent Salzburg side. But uh, if an Austrian side is, is winning the Europa League, there's there's something wrong in the second tier of um, of uh, European football for sure. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal need to be at their fluid, free-moving best. They need Aaron Ramsey firing on all cylinders. I think uh, he was the difference in the Milan game uh, over the two legs. His his penetrating runs, I think, from midfield, they make such a difference for Arsenal. And Arsenal, I think Arsenal's slump in form over the last couple of years has coincided with a slump in form from Aaron Ramsey. I think he, he seemed to be saving his best performances for Wales around the... Euro 2016, but uh, a couple of years before that, uh, uh, he looked like he was going to go to the next level and be be what everyone thought he was going to be, uh, one of the best in the world. And he's he's taken his foot off the gas a little bit, but just been a few signs from him in Europe anyway, um, where he's been back to his best. And uh, as I said, if he can time his runs well and get on the end of um, what uh, you know, they've, they've some really clever players, Arsenal with Ozil and Abongyang and Lacazette. Um, if we can get on the end of some, uh, make some good late runs into the box and get on the end of some chances, then uh, it, it gives Arsenal half a chance. Um, what Arsenal are really going to need to do, though, is match the work rate of uh, of Atletico Madrid because they they work their socks off. Like they they work as hard as any team in the business. Um, that's down to the manager, obviously. So Arsenal are going to have to dig in for the first twenty minutes, uh, home and away, and just just let Atletico Madrid know that they're not going to be they're not going to be over uh, outworked, uh, outmuscled. And if, if if they can settle into both games, I think they're they're a nicer team on the eye. They they when they start passing it around um, at a good pace, um, they're a match for anyone. Arsenal. Uh, they just need to show again. We we say it all the time. They need to show uh, a steely side to their character uh, before it gets to a stage where Arsenal have a have a habit of going two 0 down and then start playing some lovely stuff because there's no pressure on them then. They need to they need to do the dirty work uh, early um, in both legs, and if they do that and they can come unscathed through the first twenty minutes in both games, they're good football. Uh, and what they've learned from Wenger, and let's not pretend they haven't learned anything from him. He does he does get he does get his teams playing some lovely stuff. So if, if they can do that, then they've half a chance. Uh, Quick uh, score go. prediction, Danny. Um, well tonight and uh, tonight is on in. Where tonight? Tonight's Emirates. in the Emirates. I think Arsenal are gonna if they could if they could win if they could win two 0 uh, I think they'd be very happy. I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for two one Arsenal tonight. All right, uh, Peter, what have you got? Yeah, I, I, I'll go with with two one as well. I, I just think, like Danny said, like you couldn't get two more contrasting styles. Yeah. Of of management and of. Um, yeah, of management, just general approach to the play, even the down to the to the players' mentality, how they approach the game. Just, can't, I suppose that does come from the manager as well. But I, I think Arsenal. I just have a feeling they might surprise people and actually get past Atletico over the two legs. But I think, yeah, they probably wouldn't want to concede tonight. And yeah, it, it's going to be. I'd say it'll go down to the wire. Atletico are a really tough nut to crack. But they're not the kind of team that generally run away with games, you know, even their success in the Champions League. Like, let's be honest, we're all very surprised that they, they kind of aren't quarterfinal, semi-finalists in the Champions League as they have been over the last kind of five seasons a lot. So um, we'll have to see. But I, just kind of going back on the original thing, 
I just can't see, it's just such a contrast to get a manager like Diego Simeone to go into a club like Arsenal. He would have to, he, none of, none of the, barely any of the Arsenal players, I say you could count them on one hand, are a player Diego Simeone would actually want to work with. Yeah, uh, I'm really not sure about him to Arsenal. I just I, I realise why people want him to go in there, but I just think the squad has been built with a completely different outlook on football to what he wants to do. So, yeah, I, I just don't um, I don't see that happening. But I have a sneaky feeling Arsenal will go through over two legs. Well, they both think that. What about you guys? Uh, Dan, score prediction for tonight? I think 1-1. One, one. I think with Aubameyang being ineligible, Lacazette's not got enough firepower to, to do anything against that defence. And I think Arsenal, quite frankly, are lucky Diego Costa's not fit because he used to love playing against them for Chelsea. He used to tear them, tear them apart at the back. So I think over two legs, Atletico will be very tight, hard to pick out. And I can't see Lacazette doing anything really against them. And unless it's the Ramsey late run, I just don't see where the danger's coming from. So I think 1-1, one, one, um, Atletico to get a counter-attack or set-piece goal. And also to struggle to, to break them down. And uh, Joe? I think that Atletico will have the better of it tonight. I think Arsenal haven't got the discipline to, to set up and, and not concede at least one or two goals. So I'm going for 2 1 Atletico tonight. Too much quality on the pitch for me for that. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Liverpool then, Joe. While you're there, because uh, I know you're a Liverpool fan, and it was a huge night, obviously, uh, beating Roma five two. It's an incredible result. Although I have seen some of the Liverpool press kind of saying that the gloss was taken off the results by the two late goals, and I'm just sitting there thinking, fucking hell, that's five two. You're after beating Roma in a semi final, like. Take your 3-0 lead. If you lose the 3-0 lead in the second leg, well, then you don't deserve to be in the final anyway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those two goals, yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about them, but it's not the story of the night for me. The story is, is, is smashing Roma, like, you know, going up 5-0 and absolutely blitzing them. And I can't believe the team don't have the respect for us to sit, sit back and set up and defend. Roma were naive to play a high line as well as Pep three times this season in Man City and they did the same thing every time. And I think teams need to, well, maybe Real, when we play them in the final, if we do, will not be as naive and they'll set up to, to try and contain us. But for me, I mean, scoring five against Roma is, is unbelievable. And it's a three-goal lead and we'll take that all day. And I don't see, I don't think in the last 10 years that there's been this much synergy between the manager, the fans and the players. You know, every single player gives everything, every minute. Every tackle is celebrated, every throw-in. We win is celebrated by the fans and Klopp. Klopp gets his fist out of the fans, we love that. And every single player gives everything. And you know what, we've got Mo Salah as well. Let's let's mention that fella. I mean, it's not just one. No. He's he's absolutely unbelievable having a season of his life. And I hope it can continue for him. Joe, we've been talking about Salah like over the whole course of the season. And... Um, it's funny, obviously, Danny's you know uh, a Liverpool fan as well. But like, I, I actually texted him the other day and said like I'm kind of changing my opinion of Liverpool's champions or chances in the Champions League because I always thought you get by Roma, but just Real in the final, their experience and kind of Klopp doesn't have the best records in finals. But over the course of the season, at the start of the season, we were saying Salah's having a really good season, but he's kind of not a natural finisher and he misses kind of you know he's kind of a 50-50 man when he's true on goal. But I'm looking at him over the last couple of months, like he, any type of a half chance now, and it's just boom, in the back of the net. And I said it to Danny the other day, it used to be all about the front three. 
it used to be three top class players as Liverpool's front three. Now I think it's two top class players, and Salah has just gone to that world class level. Like without him the other night, I don't think you score well. Two assists, the two assists were on the plate. That the the first and the second finish were just sublime. He just doesn't seem to miss at the moment. He he's taken. I know people will always argue that Messi. And Ronaldo have done it for longer, but to, to, there's no doubt at the moment he's one of the most dangerous players in the world, and he's just come on so much in even over the last two months. He's just taken his game to an entirely new level, and when you have him in your team, um, you just don't know. But how can you be so naive to allow him turn onto his left foot all the time when he's that dangerous? I, I just don't get it, you know. Especially against a team he played with last season, how can they be so? Like, remember when they played United, Ashley Young did not let him turn on to his right foot. I'm not saying that because I'm a Man United fan, but that's the kind of approach you have to go when you're up against a player like that. Just don't give him any space. But, um, yeah, it's worrying me how good he is at the moment when it comes to the Champions League. It's funny, actually, as, as Joe was saying there, Danny, uh, it's not just the fact that, you know, you let Salah go onto that left foot. It's just the amount of space that they seem to leave in behind them. And they just didn't learn their lesson. They just... Liverpool just had the freedom of the flanks, and that's obviously where they're most dangerous. It was it was kind of bizarre for Roma. Yeah, it was it was it was very surprising that they let it happen. All right, well, I was watching a little bit of tactical analysis on, on the game last night, and one thing that impressed me with Salah, I think most people look at Mo Salah and say we know what he's going to do. He's all left foot. If you look at one of his assists last night, or two of his assists um, on Tuesday night, he's basically the, I think it was Manolas maybe uh, and Juan Jesus the other time. They're basically showing him the outside because they're they're saying to him, oh, "You're you're all left foot, all right, come on." Well, he drags it down to the he drags it down to the byline and puts two balls on a plate uh, with his right foot for Firmino and for um, for Sadio Mane. So, for a man that was all left foot, he's obviously uh, defenders are now overcompensating, which means they're giving him an option to go down the other channel. What really impressed me was. And I, I've said it before, I've, I've a mate who uh, just doesn't see what Mo Salah brings to the table. Uh, if you watch his second goal and you watch uh, uh, Juan Jesus, uh, we'll just call him Jesus um, for now. Just watch him when Salah is making the run. Firmino's got the ball and he's, and he's running right at the heart of the defence. And Mo Salah turns Jesus inside out about three times. He's running. We have to always remember that when Mo Salah uh, and the likes of these players are running at you, defenders are usually running backwards. And how, how he hasn't put more lads on their arse is unbelievable because his body shift, his, his, I don't know if it's the hips or whatever, he shifts about three or four times. Jesus has turned inside out. And I'm thinking, why have you not just tracked the runner? He was tracking him and then he turned again and then he moved again. And then that's what created the space for him to run uh, through and, uh, and clip it over uh, Alison Becker. For, uh, for me, the second goal was, was just... Just showed the supreme confidence uh, where he's at it. You know, the, the first goal, he takes a shot. If it goes over, no one's no one's no one complains and says what a miss. But the second one, the composure, uh, because it's just before half time. It's a crucial moment for Roma to get in at one 0 They can regroup. But it just that, that actually that, that was the biggest moment in the game for me. It just it just brought brought Liverpool and the fans up to another level, and um, it just created such confidence amongst the, amongst the team that. The football from around 30 minutes to 70 minutes Liverpool played, it's as good as you'll see anywhere. It's as good as you'll see anywhere and it's as good as Barcelona in their pomp, Atletico, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Man City. It was that good for 40 minutes. But Liverpool do what Liverpool, Liverpool do what Liverpool do and they um, 
when when there's nothing in the game for Roma and Liverpool have it all sewn up, you know, two feet in the final, what they do is they just give Roma a little sniff of an opportunity. And um, believe it or not, I had a fiver on Liverpool to win 5-1 at 50-1 to at the docket in my pocket. And it was never a penalty for the second one. But at 5-0, I didn't even want them to score because obviously uh, 250 quid won't last me too long. But uh, Liverpool getting to the final and possibly winning it uh, will live, live with me for a long, long time. But uh, I think Dan was right about um, the synergy um, between Klopp, the fans. Uh, it's just, it's 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 like it's something he's moulded over time. Uh, I, I was just going to say that actually because it was it was everyone was kind of ripping the piss, weren't they? Whenever he had them down holding hands and well against West Brom against West that's Brom, yeah. Say. But actually, yeah. that's really it's really developed and it, it's you know he's taken that from Dortmund and it's yeah it's, yeah it's it's very we, we, we probably don't we, we probably don't make that comeback against Dortmund if Klopp hasn't you know. You know, I don't know. It's like he's getting it into the fans that we're all like you're like you're part of this team as much as any player's part of this team. Um, where I watch the games, the noise has gone up uh, another level. There's a few like there's, I think there's like six or seven new Liverpool songs, uh, and I'm even listening to them uh, like not just for sport. I'm listening to them through enjoyment. The LA 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 song. You know, I'm actually going onto YouTube and blaring it out. I had my young lad, he's two years of age, singing the Mo Salah song, running down the wing. You know, there's just there's just a great buzz. And Liverpool, with you know, with the history of you know great songs and all that sort of stuff, there is. I think you're dead right. There's just a, there's a great synergy between management, uh, players, clubs. Everyone's in it together. Um, and at the moment, Liverpool are playing football. They're playing the best football of, of any side left in the competition. But they still have to go over and, and, and weather the storm that Roma will throw at them. But it, it should, I think, suit Liverpool quite well that Roma are going to have to go and attack them because Liverpool have shown that counter-attacking wise, there's there's no one on the planet that can get near them. The front three are just they're just playing. If Manny, if Manny had a shooting boots on the other night, it could have been eight or nine. Yeah, it really yeah, could have. Yeah. It was that good. Uh, Dan, just a quick word on uh, Madrid and Bayern. Madrid just seem to have their number, don't they? Yeah, I think they've They've been there, done it, got the T-shirt. I think there's, they just have a way to win. They, they, Bayern looked pretty good last night. Ribery played well. Bayern had a lot of injuries, missing a lot of key players. And uh, I think a lot of that experience did show. And just when they needed to, Madrid just turned it on and they scored. I mean, Ronaldo didn't even score, which is a rarity. He had one, I know this is goal, but just shows the quality. Even at this loud goal, one touch banks in the back of the net. That's all they need. And they will be that clinical. And they've just done it so many times. And I think if Zidane goes on and they win it again for the third consecutive time, which has definitely not been done before, um, that, that's really saying something about that squad. And I think the difference between the Bayern game and the you know the Juventus game was having Sergio Ramos at the back, just marshalling that Real defence, made it look totally different. And um, against Juventus, they kind of fell apart at the back a bit, but Ramos made, made all the difference. And yeah, comfortable, I think. And a Madrid will... I think be comfortable again in Madrid, and I think they'll comfortably be straight through, um, straight through to that final. So um, hopefully Roma can pull it back, and uh, it'll be a Roma Madrid final. But we'll, we'll just <laughs> uh, right. That's the Champions League, Peter. Let's chat about the FA Cup then. We'll start with United and Spurs. And Carl uh, uh, William of this parish uh, said on Twitter after the game, "This club from top to bottom, Spurs he's talking about, doesn't have what it takes to win things. Losers, all of them. So was it a case of them bottling it, or was it a case of Mourinho, as you've said recently?" just doing what he does and, and winning one-off games really well? Yeah, well, I, I thought it was, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes, Spurs uh, flew out of the blocks, uh, as they so often do. Um, and then, you know, two two players that 
I've heavily criticised lately, you know, really stepped up for, for the first goal, a great ball in by Pogba after, you know, he, he showed his tactical ill-discipline for Spurs opener and uh, a, a super header by Sanchez. And, you know, I think Sanchez's performance kind of reminded a few people why United wanted him so badly and why they're paying him, you know, reportedly 500 grand a week. Um, you know, he was that perfect blend of just raw work rate and uh, and class. And probably his first really good performance for United from start to finish. Um, I, I was glad that Herrera got the winner. You know, I've, I've criticised Herrera before as well on the pod, kind of saying that when you want to be winning leagues and stuff, you know, he's not good enough defensively or good enough attacking-wise to... Um, to kind of yeah, if if you're going to be winning leagues, you, you kind of need a, a better class of player than him. But he is he's the kind of player why that fans of of United will love and fans of other clubs will hate because he does bring that bit of he brings great work rate to kind of big games and he has a bit of snidiness uh, about him as well. That's so it. he brings I, that I, kind I of shithousery that Danny's always saying that it, Liverpool exactly. are missing. Exactly, and yeah. and you need you need that as well. Like remember him spitting on the City Crest and stuff after the, the Manchester Derby. Uh, the the, but, uh, the grab of the boot at, was my favourite bit of the whole game. I think <laughs> he's very good at coming coming into games like that and putting on a show. And he kind of is he epitomises the fans kind of. It, um, in them kind of games. So glad for him. Um, and I thought, you know, the last 15, 20 minutes, normally FA Cup semi-final when you're 2-1 up, um, you're kind of, you're shitting yourself going into the last 15, 20 minutes. But it was really, really comfortable in the end. Um, I'm not sure Kane is 100% fit, but Smalling and Jones was a complete role reversal from the 2-0 the at, at Wembley in the Premier League because Kane just bossed them that day. But they, they did a really good job on him. Um, I'd say... Probably Christian Eriksen was the only Spurs player who could really come away with his held head high. And yeah, listen, the pod last week, uh, we were talking about Mourinho, obviously, after the, the shock result result to, to West Brom, which, you know, I, I've admitted was a, a terrible performance. But if you listen to the pod last week, you swear United are, are completely, you know, a club in crisis. Yes. You know, if I know it's if buts and maybes, they have to face a a Chelsea side in the final. And Chelsea aren't having a great season, but they still have, you know, the likes of Hazard there. They, they could beat anybody on their day. So it's it's far from from a given that they'll win the FA Cup. But if they were to win the FA Cup, that that'd be three trophies in um, in kind of in two seasons. That that's not bad by anybody's standards. Um, yeah, finishing second in the league. I think most United are judged by a, a different standard than all other clubs because of the success they've had in the Premier League era. That's fine, but I think most other clubs would be happy with kind of second in the league and uh, and an FA Cup, considering how much City have, uh, have run away with it this season. But, you know, I, I think as well, with, with Spurs and I, I would have said Liverpool up until, you know, kind of this week when it, I kind of changed my opinion a little bit about whether they can win the Champions League or not. Um, you know, Danny was saying last week about six-year contract with Klopp and, you know, not hiring and firing, but... Like at what stage with Spurs, you can't constantly hide behind. Oh, we play great football and we develop players. You're if you want to be an elite club, you have to deliver silverware. Like you look over the last decade in the Premier League, the, the three clubs that have won the most silverware. You've got Man City, you've got Chelsea, um, and uh, United. And at at any of them three clubs, a manager going two full seasons without winning a trophy will not be tolerated. Failure is not tolerated you're out the door 
I think it, we would all like to see managers given long-term contracts because that's what it was, we've been drilled into, that stability brings success. But I don't think it necessarily does in, in, the, in the modern game. Like There needs to be some level of accountability. I know Spurs are, are kind of on the up anyway. They weren't always traditionally one of the stronger clubs. Um, but you do have to win something. And I don't know how the, the, the two Liverpool fans feel about this, because I know Klopp has a six-year contract and stuff, but I think it's worth the discussion. I'm not trying to diminish the fact that Liverpool play absolutely fantastic football. Klopp develops players, like you said, that Liverpool have at the moment, between all everybody at the club is, is definitely lacking at United. But say, for example, they don't win the Champions League this season. Now, getting there is a massive achievement. Over what, At what stage of Klopp's six years do you actually turn around and say, right, enough's enough. We haven't won anything in 11 years. And you're, we're not, like, are you going to let him stay there for six seasons without winning anything? Because he does give you amazing highs at times. Um, I don't deny that. But ultimately, elite level, at, at the elite level clubs, you have to deliver silverware. And love him or hate him, you can't deny that Mourinho delivers silverware. So, what, what, like, what do you think? If Liverpool don't win the Champions League this year, I suppose it's like Tottenham as well. Carler, one of our regular potters, is saying it. How long do you let it go on just because you're playing great football and you develop players before you say, actually, lads, you have to win a trophy? It's a t- well, that's a tough one for a start because well, I've got four Spurs season ticket holders, uh, all from different friendship groups. All four of them have said they want Potch out. They said he's not a winner. That's the eighth semi-final in a row Spurs have lost. And for them, that's too much. They're worried that the players are going to leave. And not so much for Harry Kane's, but the kind of mid-tier, but crucial to the team, the Eric Dyers, the Alderweireld, Danny Rose, they think they're just going to leave because they're going to go on World Cup duty with, you know, Carl Walker this summer. Yeah, classic example. And he's, he's earned four times the amount. He'd have to stay at Spurs for four years to earn that and won a, champion, well, won a Premier League. And now he's cemented his place in the right-back for the World Cup. And at Spurs, he was 50-50 between him and Trippier. So he's he's completely come on leaps and bounds. And the Spurs players are going to go away and have that. Some of the Liverpool players as well. Oxlade Chamberlain's talking to some of the Arsenal boys saying, you know, well, he's not now because he's not going to the World Cup. But those kind of conversations happen. And I think the, the other side to it is you can't argue, like United, like Liverpool, they're progressing in the right direction. I think the difference is with Spurs is they're kind of at a plateau point And they've kind of just been the same, but they're not quite growing. Klopp ultimately has taken the team forwards, but you're right, he hasn't won any trophies. You know, he's won absolutely nothing, and he has a record of bottling it in finals to some extent. But I don't think there's any doubt that Liverpool have progressed under Klopp. Whether this season is the cut-off point, I'm not sure, but definitely within the, the next 18 months, I think Klopp delivers no more trophies and doesn't get anywhere nearer to it. I think there's got to be uh, some strong advocates for, um, for, for him moving on. We love to watch football and we love to watch amazing football and at the moment Klopp delivers amazing football so I'm not I'm not looking at that like you know we didn't win that Europa League title you know against Sevilla and there was questions a few fans questioned you know Klopp you know he, he does bottle it in finals and what, what not and, but he's went on he's progressed you know we've got Salah he's turned all these players like Oxlade he looked like his you know, career was a failure He's turned him around, and and the club is now fighting with the with the best. And now, you know, you said there like last week, you know, your your view of Liverpool has changed like overnight. But I mean, the fans believe believe in Klopp, and we, we are willing to give him, I mean, X amount of time. There's no, there's no time limit on for me if he continues to play like this. 
and get in those finals and give us that sensation of, you know, we are up there with the best. But I, I, I guess actually winning stuff really puts you up there with the best, though, doesn't it, Danny? Yeah, 100%, Sam. Yeah, um, I have to agree with you there. Peter does kind of talking what ifs and whatnots. Let's revisit as if we're still doing this podcast in six years. We'll revisit um, Klopp's six year tenure. And uh, trophies will definitely define whether it's been a successful tenure or not. Um, we can all see the improvements. Uh, we can all see that uh, Liverpool are obviously um, growing as a side, as a club, um, with the synergy there between the fans as well. Um, that's my word of the day, synergy. I'm loving it. Bring it back to Spurs a little bit, though, because that's where we got started on this kind of. Like, I think one of the things is, okay, we're all, we're all fans of Liverpool and United actually here, just coincidentally. But you walk into the trophy rooms at Old Trafford or at Anfield, and they're incredible. It's wall to wall trophies, wall to wall league titles, and and European cups and FA cups and all kinds of things everywhere. If you're a Spurs fan. You've got your League Cup from 10 years ago, and it's a long time back before you've got any sort of substantial trophies to sort of look at and admire and to remember and things like that. So I guess it, it, it's maybe a little bit different for them, you know what I mean? It is. They're more in need of something to kind of feel like they're a club that actually wins something. He's definitely done it, Sam, on a, on a lower budget. And, you know, there's no denying that. Um, like, and especially this season with the state, you know, the one year, got the state, you know, taking Wembley as their stadium for a year, you know, any Spurs fan would have said we'd take top four at the start of the season. You know, to, they're the only London club to qualify for the Champions League for three consecutive years. So there is progress. But, it, you know, when you are kind of, it seems every year with Spurs, they have a great season and they do really well, some massive performances along the way. But they always seem to fall short right towards the end of the season, whether it be going for second place or you know, a couple of years ago, they were fighting with Leicester, then they were kind of fight, fighting with Chelsea. They, they do seem to be kind of, and you know, two FA Cup semi-finals in a row, disappointing defeats. They, you do kind of have to make that break, that winning mentality, because... You do, once you start accepting failure at a club, which kind of happened at Arsenal as we started, uh, as we started the pod on, it, it, it's it's not a good place to be. Um, I, I I personally don't think Potts should be out because he has done an amazing job there. But I do think they should probably say to him, you have to the end of next season to at least get to a final, um, or otherwise you're in trouble. And it doesn't look uh, good for him talking, even now. There's no way you can put a manager that's done that well under that sort of pressure. It's always, Maybe they need that pressure, Danny. Well people, well, people always talk about be careful what you wish for. And I'd say if you look at Southampton, got rid of Claude Puel, uh, got to a final of the AFL Cup last year, probably outplayed Man United, got beaten 3-2 though, out of a job, out of the Premiership. Um, look at uh, Stoke, uh, got rid of Mark Hughes, brought in Lambert, probably out of the Premiership. Tony Pulis, gone from West Brom, out of the Premiership. Some teams have to know their level. Some, Tottenham aren't at... They're not an elite club yet. And I know you're saying they have to win to get there. But they probably won't get there in our lifetime. They might have a flash-in-the-pan season here or there. It's very hard for Tottenham to compete with the likes of... Just with the history and, and the success that the that clubs like um, you know Arsenal have had, Liverpool have had, Man United have had. Um, well, all it takes is them, one massive yeah, investor, doesn't it? You no, know, Man City and Chelsea have had someone come in that had massive money. So it's either money that bridges the gap... Or you were already a big club, and you know your history. Uh, your history dictates that you'll be able to maybe um, get a, a deal over the line, even though you're not offering as much money. 
You know what I mean? Liverpool can probably do that because they've a richer hit. Yeah, so it's, it's literally the you can look at it two ways with Spurs: glass half full or glass half empty. You know, glass half full, glass half empty. They've even got an opportunity now, moving into a new stadium, great squad, a few more additions, and a world class manager. They could really kick on and cement themselves as future title challengers, or stay as they are, kind of have a good season, not do that, and then slowly decline into kind of what Arsenal are now: new stadium, paying that off, not the biggest budgets in the world, and um, you know, kind of not willing anything. And challenging for getting in the Champions League every year. And I think that's what Spurs fans are most worried about, is becoming the new Arsenal and having that on their on their resume rather than rather than kind of kicking on and really, you know, accelerating forwards. And yeah, there's the investment case there, but they've built the stadium with the NFL coming in there, so there should be some there's a good commercial model that Daniel Levy's built behind that behind that stadium plan. And I think for them, if they brought in a, a big manager, you know, like a Zinedine Zidane or an Ancelotti or somebody like potentially of that of that ilk, they've really got an opportunity to kick forwards and grow as a club. And I think what they're scared of is staying as they are. And unfortunately for them, when they stay as they are, everybody else around them will progress. And for that means they're going to get left behind. So staying. Yeah, lads, what I'm saying, uh, what, what, the way I look at it with Spurs at the moment is I'm not saying they should be winning the Premier League because they don't pay the same wages. They don't spend the same amount of money on, on, on players. But I think we can all, we've all seen enough football off over the last two seasons to say that Spurs on their day are capable of beating anybody pretty much. You know, their starting level is absolutely top class. So. I think for Spurs, that's one I, I really don't get it with Pochettino. This is what kind of annoys me about him is he came out the week before the FA Cup final and down top the FA Cup. He was saying, no, we're going for the Champions League and the Premier League. Like, you're getting too big for your boots there, man. You don't have the resources to do that. Win your fans a cup or two. Get that win the mentality in by winning an FA Cup, even a League Cup, you know, Um whatever they're calling it on a, on a specific year. Give the players a bone to want to stay at the club. You know, them fans want a trophy now at this stage. I, I just I don't think they should be winning the Premier League, but I can't see why they keep getting the semi-finals and stuff and cups and, and not being able to push on. Um, and it was a very confusing message that Pochettino sent out the week before by talking in the week leading up to the FA Cup that actually it's not really one of our priorities. I thought that was ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, we haven't really, haven't even mentioned Chelsea and Southampton, really. Uh, Chelsea obviously went through in that one. Uh, that would probably be Conte's last game in charge. Do you think he could get a result there? Or, I mean, United and, and Mourinho in particular would absolutely love to do one over on him, wouldn't he? I don't think there's any, there's no, um, you know, hidden uh, hidden agenda there. There's definitely been some animosity between Conte, Mourinho, and Chelsea, and that whole you know scenario that went on there. And I think there's. Despite what Conte might feel about Chelsea, the guy is an ardent winner and uh, he hates losing. And uh, he definitely hates losing to Mourinho in a final who will probably lord it over him for the rest of his managerial career. So I don't think there's any love loss between those two. And I think Conte will want to win it all down, all, all in. And considering Chelsea is so far off the top four, both of them, it's a defining moment in both of the seasons of United and Chelsea. And I think Conte would uh, would love nothing more than to kind of the trophy. Say I've been here, you know, two seasons or and won two trophies, and then leave it there. And Mourinho, same, same right back at him. Love to get one over on Chelsea. So I think the managers would be up for it. I think the players would be up for it. Lukaku's old team, um, you know, and he's got a point to prove against big teams because yet again in the semi-final he didn't score against Spurs. So he's got a point to prove. There's a lot of a lot of people with agendas during that match, and um, I think it'd be one hell of a game because as Chelsea turn up on their day, they're great. 
United tactically will be able to, you know, stifle the right players, you know, and and do the right get a result. So who knows? There's been a there's been quite a bit of uh, animosity on the app in terms of you know people getting involved in opinion and debate. Funnily enough, the United Chelsea angle's been um been overshadowed completely by Liverpool and some of the stuff that's been happening there. And there's been a lot of uh, United Liverpool chatter on you know on the various things that you might imagine. And there's also been a lot of the um, London teams coming in and not liking Man City spending a lot of money and Man United spending a lot of money. So there's there's been a lot of chat around that. But to be honest with you, it's um, yeah the FA Cup has been completely overshadowed by the uh, the Champions League exploits of Liverpool. And um, so. It's been an interesting, interesting thing to observe. But whether that picks up again as we head towards the final, with the league being over now, it, uh, it, it might well do. Uh, well, let's just rewind a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about the app. What is it? And uh, and you know, just give us a, a quick overview of it. Yeah. So the, the app is pure and simply it's a digital home for football fans, and we provide all the latest news and all the latest views in, in one place. So what we do is we take all the news, so everything from the Sky Sports, BBC. Um, and all the kind of news that's out there, break it down into bite-sized chunks. And then our technology sees what you click on, learns what you like, and personalises the whole experience for you. And then there's also the opportunity to kind of engage with other football fans, so like a digital talk sport, and have that kind of forum-type chatter with, with other fans. So that's basically what the, uh, what the platform does. And then we, we provide every time you comment and get involved, we give you XP points, uh, and you can then trade those in for some of our partners. So... We've partnered up with some great partners, Football Index, Betfair, Vintage Shirts, um, Sports Direct, Puma. We've got some fantastic partners on board, and then you can. Uh, we've got exclusive deals for our for our for our users to redeem those. Nice one. If people want to download that and find it, how can they do that? Literally, jump onto either App Store, so whether that's Google Play or, or iOS on a, on the App Store, and uh, just type in Jaffa, J A F A, which is just a fans analysis, and it should be number one on the uh, on the App Store there when you search that. Brilliant, nice one, Dan. Uh, check that out. Now, while we're here, let's do a quiz. Uh, now, yeah, uh, yeah. Peter has. Uh, I don't think Peter's lost a quiz in about three months, so uh, we've changed things up a little bit. I've got a, I've got a. Maybe this will be a first. This is a quiz of firsts, okay? So the drill is that I'm going to ask a question. You guys say your name, and uh, I will go to you if you're the first person to say your name. If you get it wrong, you're out, and the other three will uh, get a chance to say their name and so on. Blah. Okay. Uh, let's say first to three is the winner. So. Which team were first to score 100 goals in a single Premier League season? Danny. 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 Uh, Chelsea under Carlo Ancelotti. That's a point for Danny. Right. Question number two. Who scored the first hat-trick in the Premier League era? Danny. Danny again. Andy Cole. No. That's wrong. You're out. I'm out. Well, you're out of this question. Well, I know who scored the first goal, the first hat-trick, though. Peter. Peter. Alan Shearer. No. It's down between Danny and Joe. Who scored the first hat-trick in the Premier League era? I can say that it was... Uh, I'll give a hint. Scored for Leeds against Spurs in 1992. Oh. No, nobody. Peter, you're going to kick yourself. It was Eric Cantona. <laughs> Oh, Eric. man. I was going to say Teddy Sheringham. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Sheringham. Yeah, I thought Sheringham. All right. Brian Dean, first goal. Yeah, but anyway, let's go. 
Question number three. Danny is uh, in the lead with one. So, who was who were the Premier League's first ever sponsors? Danny. Danny. Ah. Premier League. I know Liverpool had the first ever sponsor in 1979 with Atachi, but the first Premier League sponsors. That's... Like, of the Premier League. Yeah, Danny, just stop bluffing now. Just give us yeah, an answer. Yeah, come on, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you saying the first Premier League sponsors? Yes, as oh, in like, Sam, he yes. should be out now. All right, three. Of, of Barclays. Barclays. Uh, no, it wasn't Barclays, no. Peter. Peter. Carling. It was Carling between 93 and 2001, actually. So, uh, right, one all, Peter and Danny. Dan and Joey need to get in the game. So, question number four, I think. Who was the first player to score 10 consecutive Premier League goals? Danny. Game, Danny. Games, sorry, yeah. Danny. Danny, Rude Van Nistelrooy. It was two points for you, right. Uh, well, which, uh, which team was first to score 1,000 home goals? Peter. Peter. Man I got United. in there. It was Man United, yeah. Right, so I got two in all. there. No, it was Peter. Check the tape. Right. I will. <laughs> Question number six. Which team fielded the first all-foreign starting 11 yeah, in Peter. 1999? Peter. Peter. Danny. Peter. Danny. Peter. It was Danny. I was it. I can't. 100% me. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's Arsenal. Arsenal, Sam. Uh, that's incorrect. Woo. Oh. Danny. I was going to say them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was against Portsmouth. Um, I thought Arsenal against Portsmouth. I'm going to say Chelsea then. It was Chelsea, yeah. And, uh, you are taking it out of the half somewhere. Right, that's three. You've won. There, You've won. Yeah. That's three points. Glad you got nothing on the other side. But look. Danny, you're a champion again. You finally... Uh, yeah. Knocked it's him been a while. Yeah, yeah. You've knocked him off his perch. Right, let's continue on and uh, let's talk about maybe just a, a quick mention for the pr- uh, player of the year. Salah's won that. I think a, a fairly deserving winner. Peter, you gave him a, a ringing endorsement earlier. We've got some Liverpool fans here, though. Uh, any love for Kevin De Bruyne or was Salah really the, the runaway winner? I read a good piece there that um, the reason that the votes are they're cast early and that the, the gig is on, you know, in uh, the middle of April is so that... Um, all the players are obviously in the country. They're not off on holidays um, or away on international duty with the Euros or the World Cup. Um, so that the um, the men in suits, uh, the men behind the scenes, the money men can attend and, you know, mix it up with all the, the famous footballers and their wives, which is, if that's the reason that the, the votes are cast so early, it's an absolute disgrace, if you ask me, uh, because no one gives a shit about the money men behind the scenes, you know. Um Unless, unless they're, you know, they're buying the titles, you know, and no one seems to really care about them. It's like kind of, if you've, if you're, if you've got like a, a quarter of the season to go, and there, you could be in three or four tournaments. Liverpool and Man United, let's say, for example, could be in an FA Cup final, a Champions League final, first and second in the league, and they could have Lukaku and let's say Mo Salah gone for best player, uh, best player of the season. And in the last three or four games, someone does something special, crucial, scores in two finals, scores in the last day of the season to win you the league. How, how do those games not matter, but the first 30 games of a season in the league matter? I suppose it's, it, it's interesting because you'd have to say that De Bruyne probably was more influential for his team up to this point than Salah was. Yes, yeah, Sam. Sorry, when the sorry, remember when we used to do the, the betting part we did... Uh, the, guy, the Jaffa guys don't know. We used to do a betting pod as well every Friday. And I said back in October, um, De Bruyne was 3-1 to one for player of the year and everybody should put 100 euro on it. 
And it, like, it really did look that way. And like Salah was having a great season for so long, but it, it looked by all intents and purposes that it was going to be De Bruyne. And I suppose the argument is he actually won the league. But um, Salah has just, he's just been so consistent that I think in the end he deserved it. But I think most people thought De Bruyne had it until maybe six weeks, two months ago. And Salah has just not stopped um, being decisive. Scoring, you know, he he needs one more goal to have the the highest Premier League goal total in a 38 game season ever. First player ever to be directly involved in 50 goals, um, a Premier League player in a single season. Um, so you, you just can't argue with Salah's numbers. And considering that he doesn't even play as a centre forward, it's just insane the numbers that he's he's posting this year. Yeah, people forget that he, he, he's a winger. You know, he's a winger and he's and he's doing so much for the team. He's, he's really inspired the team. And and for me, yeah, I mean, De Bruyne, personally, I think he's a world-class player and, he, and he's really drove that Man City side to the title. But you, you can't deny those numbers. Yeah, and De Bruyne and Silva, they've both been equally, maybe De Bruyne is slightly more important to City, but Salah's standout has been, you know, when he's not playing for Liverpool, it's a completely different, completely different proposition. Andrew. I think what was interesting this year, lads, though, did you see for the first time Aguero actually made the... Pre- the- the team of the year, um, yeah, the first time ever, which is actually ridiculous. Like, well, he um, probably shouldn't have made it though. I think Firmino could have, yeah, Firmino could have yeah Aguero still has the best record goals to minutes in the league, I think, because he, you and know, he only generally Aguero, plays like 20, 25 goals at games a season. He should have been in there year after year. I, yeah, I think yeah. this year though, uh, Roberto Firmino has been, I, I, I we can't say he's underestimated anymore. You're not because, biased though, so. No, yeah. no, I'm not. No, listen. Is, yeah, if you watched him the other night, is there is there a centre forward in the world that holds the ball up um, better than him? And you used to have to you used to look at someone and you thought they had to be six foot three or six foot four to hold the ball up. This kid can hold the ball up better than anyone I've seen in a long, long time. The way he uses his the way he uses his body, he seems he kind of manipulates it the way Kenny Dog Leash did. Sticks his arse into the back or into the groin of someone there, and he he just they, he just knows how to shield the ball. He's wiry, kind of. He doesn't need to yeah, be he's big wiry, strength. He's he, kind of got that. Wrong. You saw what he did to John Stones there against Man City in the league earlier on. Like a big centre-back, he was like, get off, I'm having that. He shrugged him aside, clipped it over the keeper. He's been absolutely sensational. And if you ask Jurgen Klopp would he, who he'd want to keep, Salah or Firmino, I promise you now, he'd say Firmino is his number one player in that team. He starts Everton off for that team, and he's, yeah, definitely. He knits everything together for that. For that, he does. Team. He's an he's an absolute world class player. And there's people in uh, people, uh, Peter. You were saying it to me. People in uh, Brazil shouting for the likes of Joe or Fred or whoever um, to to be to be getting a start uh, instead of him at a World Cup. I know that they've Jesus as well. He has to be a nailed on starter for me. He's an absolute treasure of a player, and he's he's a manager's dream. I'd say. Well, we've barely mentioned uh, anything that happened in the Premier League on this Premier League podcast, um, but let's just a quick mention for West Brom. They got a decent result against Liverpool, who obviously had uh, an eye on the Champions League, but uh, they're going to stay up, Peter. They're going to be safe. Oh, yeah, easy peasy. Um, no, they're gone. They're gone. Um, they should have got rid of our old friend Pards a long time ago. Um, I can only hope um, that, you know, the abysmal job that... He's kind of been shown up a bit now since Darren Moore came in. Because West Brom don't have a great squad, but they have a very experienced squad that you'd expect to be able to grind out kind of 
Well, we always say 40 points. It looks like it could be about 32 points this year that keeps you up, 33. So they, they've been on a terrible run. And Pards just went in there and uh, and did nothing. Um, I, I've made my feelings clear on Pards for, for a long time. And, yeah, I hope Sky don't give him a job because, geez, I'm just really hoping this is the end. I'll never have to look at this stupid face ever again. So, yeah. No, West Brom are definitely gone, and it's it's strange. Like them kind of teams, a bit above, like the West Hams and and Swansea's and stuff. They're not even really being made to work for it now. Um, I, I'm not even sure that that Stoke or uh, or Southampton w- w- will actually get to uh, to the kind of the 33 points that Swansea are on now. And uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if anyone else knows the answer. Did Mark Hughes be the first manager to have managed two teams that are relegated in the same season? I think Probably. so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, I mean, what about it, guys? Do do we see that bottom three changing at all? Are Swansea safe? Is that it? Is it all done? Is there literally nothing left to play for in the Premier League? Well, uh, not really. I mean, Tony Pulis will be laughing all the way if Stoke and West Brom both go down, won't he? So yeah, I mean, there's, I, I can't see it. Swansea have, you know, they've had a couple of bad results recently, but they they can put a, put a string together. Southampton, you know, if Southampton can get something against Bournemouth. Maybe, maybe something in it, but you know, I think there's, I mean, there's too much distance now. I think if Swansea even get any, you know, Swansea are probably one win away from being all right, and I think they've they've got that in them. And this Southampton are maybe maybe Southampton with Charlie Austin back, but Stoke no chance for me. No, you you can just see it. Uh, you can see um, you can see West Brom going down, obviously. Stoke, Southampton, and then you can see Middlesbrough by hook or by crook somehow managing to get through the playoffs. And, and Tony Peel has just given the big mooner to uh, <laughs> Tony Q, Tony P, Tony P Tony back P. in the yeah, Premier League, pulling his pants down, calling them bus wankers. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you can definitely see it happening for sure. Yeah, I miss I miss his little hat. I miss Tony. Yeah, hat. I know the man with the little hat. David Wagner is the only hat wearing manager left in the Premier League. I think we need at least two. So, um, I've got lots of hat. Yeah, maybe again. No, again. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's true. Yeah. On a rainy night. Yeah, only yeah. to expose his teeth. <laughs> uh, right, well, you mentioned Come on, Burrow, guys. It's Bur- still light outside. Burrow might be coming up, but uh, Wolves are going to be coming up. They, of course, were promoted. And uh, they'll be uh, they'll be a decent side, you'd imagine, in the Premier League. Uh, yeah. An interesting prospect, especially with all of the George Mendes connections. And uh, it seems, I mean, there's people kind of complaining about that, but I don't see what's going to happen. I don't think anything can happen. Like they can give out all they want. Um, uh, Wolves are coming up. They're coming up with a with a pretty good side. There's some good players, but uh, there's already been uh, murmurings that uh, Liverpool are going to poach one of them, Ruben Neves. A lot of talk that a deal has been done for Liverpool to take him. He's uh, he's had a cracking season for them from centre midfield. Um, so you, you just don't know. The eyes are going to be on them, but um, the manager's done a, done a great job. There's plenty of money to spend there for Wolves, and uh, they're only going to spend more now that they're uh, heading to the Premiership. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, go, uh, it's going to be good to see, and it's if you look at it this year, the three uh, promoted sides look like they're all going to stay up. And if I was, to, if I was, if you were to say, let's say Fulham, Wolves, and maybe a Middlesbrough came up, you could see it happening again. You really could, just with the managers they have in charge. So uh, it, it may, maybe there's a bit of a change in the guard of, uh, you know, teams that you thought were tr- tried and trusted Premier League teams. They seem to uh, like Stokes and Southampton's, you know, West Brom's. They were, they were. You know, kind of 10th, 11th, 12th teams for the last 
you know, five, six years, no more. So, um, you know, you can't take it. It just shows you can't take your uh, you can't take your um, your foot off the gas in the Premier League. It's too tough a league. It's too punishing. And um, I think uh, the the three teams down the bottom of uh, Absolutely. Uh, right, that pretty much takes us to the end of the show. Just time to uh, pick a, uh, a new prick of the week. So let's start with uh, Dan. Who have you got? Who do you pick as your prick of the week? So it's a tough one because there's been a few things that have uh, riled me, I think, uh, over this. But I don't know his name, but whoever the Roman manager is, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Di Francesco. It was such a shocking performance. Tactically come everything it just has to be from the manager down and it, watching that Liverpool game was the stuff of nightmares from a Man United fan <laughs> so that whoever that Roman manager is deserves to himself sometimes and he's definitely my prick of the week yeah we, we, we were calling him he's like a shit he looked like a shit uh, clop there at the end but we were calling him schlop clop after birth or something like that yeah he just you're going like because he'd been talking himself up about you know this guy just needs attention to detail was just unbelievable and then after 70 minutes you're looking at him going you fucking moron <laughs> hey, what, what have you done what have you done uh, Di jo- Francesco is his name boys yeah no yeah. no and after the second second the vote yeah I started the podcast off with it with mentioning about how naive he was so that my my comes up two two votes for him Peter who have you got as a prick of the week. Um, I'm going to go with Pac, actually. Um, like I said, coming out the week before and kind of down-talking the FA Cup when you your club screaming out for, for a trophy um, was just madness. And as I said, just sent the, the completely wrong message out to his players. So, uh, yeah, Mauricio Pochettino, you're a prick. Danny? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go for Ashley Cole. I've been, I've uh, been, I've been trying, I've been trying to work him in. Uh, so <laughs> but a player, so uh, um, just, uh, I'm just gonna read a little quote um, from him, uh, or tweet or something like that. Uh, he's talking about Wenger on uh, on the news of Wenger's retirement last Friday. Um, to the man who believed in me and trusted me to play in a great team, thank you for having my back. I will never forget the conversations we had and the belief you had in me. Thank you for some great memories. And good luck and whatever is next for you. Um, now, the conversations I'd say he had with Wenger, I'd say Wenger could easily forget and move on. I doubt they were uh, about uh, the econo- uh, economics of the world or politics or anything like that. I'm sure. I'm sure it was just, um, yeah. What do you think? Do you think these boots look nice on me or something like that? <laughs> uh, I think most Arsenal fans would have looked at that and went, "Go fuck yourself, Ashley Cole." So he's like, a week. That's uh, fair enough. I'm going to go with uh, just the the Sunderland board and Sunderland as a club generally. They're just all fucking pricks. I mean, yeah. like, it's unbelievable uh, everything that's been going on there. Back to back relegations is just outrageous. Jack Rodwell uh, on that unbelievable deal that kept him on Premier League wages this season and only season dropped down to forty three thousand euros a week playing in League One next season. Uh, wow. He's not going fucking anywhere. Uh, he's not even playing. At the <laughs> he's I think. He's, I think he's, yeah, I think. Get smashed. Oh, he's not even going to play. He's, he's training with the 23s. He's not even playing in the in the first team. It's fucking ridiculous. And that's just an Sam, absolute... Chris Coleman, I saw a headline today. Chris Coleman actually said, like flicking through the Daily Mail later on, Chris Coleman actually said, I don't even know where Jack is. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete fucking Mickey Mouse club. So uh, I'm going to overrule all of you. And Sunderland, you are fucking massive pricks, all of you. 
Uh, right, that's yeah. it from us. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Uh, thanks to uh, Peter and Danny, our regulars. Thanks, lads. Thanks, lads. Cheers, lads. And to uh, Dan and Joe, join us from the Jaff app. Go check that one out and, uh, and join the conversation on that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Thanks, lads. And thanks for me. We'll see you next time.